This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets, and this is our budget special. So I'm joined today by Dan Coatesworth from Shares Magazine. Hello. And also Tom Selby from AJ Bell. Hello. So we're going to talk you through all the things that happened in the budget this week, the big changes, the things that are going to hit your pocket, um, and then also some hidden things that we found interesting. So Dan, as your kind of headline thing, what did you think this budget was like? I would say it's a budget for drinkers, drivers, doctors and small businesses. Okay. I fit into one of those categories. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously this is, um, so Rishi Sunak's coming out, trying to give support for uh, the country at a very difficult time with coronavirus. So obviously just hours before we had the budget announcement, the Bank of England made a very large cut to interest rates to 0.25%. So basically next to nothing. Mm. Um, and then they come out with the budget talking about trying to make sure businesses have got um, support through difficult times. So if there's going to be a potential hit to their sales um, for various reasons, all linked with coronavirus and the economy, um, they're, they're going to still be able to pay staff. They're still going to be able to you know, essentially pay their bills on a temporary basis. So um, there was a lot in there for small businesses, which I think is you know, obviously that's the right thing to do. And um, you know, for a new chancellor, I thought it was very impressive in terms of how we delivered um, the budget. Yeah, considering um, he'd also had, so you frame this in the fact that he had a month to prepare this budget and obviously it must have had to have changed massively because when he first started preparing it, coronavirus wasn't the, the big issue that it is in the economy today. So he's probably going to have had to have rewritten it quite a few times and it, it felt like a, a fairly well thought through stable budget, albeit with a lot of spending in there. Yes, there's masses of spending in there, but people are sort of saying, well, how are we going to fund this? And that was what we were very light on detail here. I saw a quite a good comment on social media. Someone said it's had a sort of a tinge of Freshers Week students that have just been <laughs> given um, their £12,000 credit card um, and uh, away you go and sort of worry about it later. But <laughs> <laughs> Those were great times. Though, <laughs> yeah. um, we also sort of remember that the, the OBR sort of forecast for um, the economy over the sort of next year, all, all their calculations have been done before the coronavirus. Yeah, so uh, they were all out of date by the time the budget came out. Yeah, so so whilst the Chancellor gave us lots of um, seemingly impressive figures, <laughs> you have to take in with a pinch of salt, really, about what's going on. So, but it's but yes, you know, the, the message is uh, they're, they're going to spend loads of money on things like infrastructure, so doing up the roads across the country, um, sort of better broadband stuff like that, trying to help pubs by uh, reducing um, business rates slightly for a bit cutting or there's no there's a freeze on alcohol duty but i don't think and they kept the fuel duty freeze so there was quite a lot of of giveaways business rates was a big one that people have been calling for big change for they made some kind of tweaks for smaller businesses and then they said that they would have a review but that's probably about the third or fourth review that's been announced and, and no big reform of the system has come of it but i think people were hoping for a bit more action on business rates other than the kind of short term measures that they announced related to coronavirus yeah and I think actually, I know the I know the Bank of England's interest rate cut was not part of the budget, but I think you should really see it as as sort of a um, as a package trying to sort of help um, the country. So generally, the Bank of England will cut interest rates when it's it, it wants to make it cheaper for companies to be able to borrow money, and they 
the companies will then invest that money in their business. They might hire more people or um, just generally be able to do stuff rather than having sort of hunker down and sort of go into sort of crisis mode. And on the consumer side, they want people to spend their money rather than save it because if you're earning next to nothing on on your savings, then you're more likely to either invest it in the stock markets or go out and spend it, which benefits the businesses and the, the economy. Yeah, so I mean, I guess people are sort of watching to say how quickly will mortgage rates come down off the back of this. Obviously, savings rates are going to be next to nothing, as you say. Um, in the Interestingly, in the US, the US Federal Reserve cut interest rates there last week. Um, and since then, there's been an 80% increase in applications for remortgaging, people rushing mm. to lock in that lower rate. So um, if you're able to do that, that's good, obviously. It's interesting, though, because mortgage rates are at record lows at the moment anyway, and there's not much wiggle room for them to go further. So, yes, the Bank of England has cut rates and it, it cut it by half a percentage point. Um, but people shouldn't immediately think that the top best mortgage rates are going to fall by that mm. same amount because the market's so competitive at the moment that it's quite hard for those mortgage companies to fall. The exception is, obviously... Um, variable rate and tracker rate so where your mortgage rate is tied to the bank of england base rate those people have, will probably have already had emails from their bank or their mortgage provider saying that their rate's going to be cut but i don't think people should immediately think oh okay the equivalent rate cut that the bank of england made is going to directly translate into mortgage rates falling no but you know from a consumer's perspective as well it's important to think that um Coronavirus is making lots of companies nervous, and so increasingly people are being told to stay at home or work from home if possible. It's going to have an impact on consumer spending. Now, even though cutting interest rates theoretically would be positive to help people uh, a bit more, I'm not sure that people are actually going to be rushing out to spend anyway. So it's... I don't think the rate cut is enough for people who don't want to go out into public spaces to suddenly think, oh, great, now yeah. I'm going to go out and spend loads of money. It was the same argument ahead of the budget. There was an argument that the VAT rate should be cut because that could help provide a boost for businesses because if you've got lower VAT, then people might be more inclined to go out and spend. But actually, people said that a small cut in VAT isn't going to suddenly encourage people to go to kind of cinemas or restaurants or these big kind of venues where you're going to be mixing with lots of people if you didn't want to do that already. Yeah. And and if you are at home and actually you, you get the symptoms and you're not well, statutory sick pay is £94.25 a week. Mm. Um, the average <clears throat> weekly wage in the UK is about £511. So if you think that in a month, lots of people will be used to getting, say, £2,000 in their salary um, and they're on statutory sick pay, they're stuck at home they're going to get less than £400. Mm. Massive drop in earnings. Mm. Um, so it's there's a lot of things to be juggling here. And it's not simply um, a budget uh, or a Bank of England mm. action to that will help save the economy. I don't think... It, it may not be enough. But it, the heart is in the right place, definitely, yeah. for the actions. Well, yeah, you have, you have to do something, don't you? And the Bank of England's obviously got powers, but limited powers in terms of setting interest rates and counter-cyclical buffer, buffers and and all the rest of it. But I think Rishi Sunak yesterday talked about potentially up to a fifth of the UK population being off sick. Now, if you just think of that, that is a huge hit to the economy in various different ways, but the productive capacity and the ability of people to spend money, and as you say, going on to statutory sick pay. So while the government and the Bank of England can do stuff and should do as much as they, they can, there's, there's, there's a limit to 
the, the, the extent to which you can prevent the impact of a, of a shock like that. And I think part of the argument maybe is that it's it's going to maybe mitigate some of the uh, mm. the shock as we go through it, but actually it will help the recovery be sharper mm. on the other side. So once people are coming out and once we're kind of over the worst of it in the peak of the crisis, some of these measures might help the, the recovery and us the economy pick up more rapidly afterwards rather than have this kind of sluggish, slower recovery. But obviously you can't really tell that until, you know, how long the, the coronavirus crisis goes on for, how bad the peak is. All of these things are so uncertain aren't they yeah and the only thing people want to buy is toilet roll isn't it so <laughs> and hand sanitizer yes <laughs> pasta apparently as well i got a message yesterday saying pasta had just been sold out in my friend's local sainsbury's wow so all the essentials yeah great british saturday night in eh? Oh my toilet God. roll pasta <laughs> and hand sanitizer <laughs> <laughs> so dan if we take the kind of budget and the bank of england move um, because it all happened so close together. If we take it all together, how did stock markets and the pound react to all of the announcements? It didn't do much, actually. Oh, uh, that's underwhelming. Well, it, it initially, <laughs> yeah. I mean, initially, it didn't didn't really do much. By the end of the day, it was falling like the rest of the world. Um, mm. And the day after the budget, the stock market tanked big mm. time. Um, and that was linked to Donald Trump's um, sort of ban on travel between most of Europe and America. So people are really getting concerned here about sort of global recession and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, there were some individual stocks that moved um, that were linked to some of the things that were announced in the budget. So Weatherspoon shares saw a, a little spike on the news that they were going to sort of give a bigger discount for business rates to pubs and on the sort of the freezing the, the alcohol duty, but it wasn't really much. BT Inspirant um, were be- you know, their potential beneficiaries from the big in- big investment in sort of broadband infrastructure and, and mobile networks. Um, but all this sort of infrastructure spend, really, I mean, I think everyone had been expecting it. So if you mm. saw shares in uh, in companies that will probably do some of this infrastructure work like Care and Balfour Beatty, they were already really up um, before the budget was announced and they stayed pretty strong. So, um, And just finally, there was um, a couple of sort of tinier businesses that might benefit from uh, the pledge to build more hospitals because that's one of the things they're talking about. So I think it was 40 hospitals off the top of my head that they want to build. Um, so Kanos does... Uh, sort of is specialist in providing uh, electronic medical records and digitization services. That was up. Um, and there's another business called Medica on the stock market, which does uh, radiology stuff. But actually, that's that's an interesting one. It, 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 it's in the right place, but it just can't find enough people to be able to do the actual work that, that is needed to. So, so really, in terms of sort of investors trying to look for opportunities from the budget linked to the stock market. I would say the infrastructure was the only clear winner mm. from the lot. So there's actually there's one more as well, which is um, Bloomsbury, the publishing company. Mm. They're talking about taking uh, removing VAT on electronic books and magazines and stuff. So people think mm. that it's cheaper for the consumer to buy electronic um, words, if that's the way of describing <laughs> it. Um, that you know that could be a bit of a boost for sales for someone like Bloomsbury as well. Okay, so then let's move on to actual things that were announced in the budget. So if we move away from some of the kind of business stuff that we've Mm. already talked about and more to the things that are going to impact your personal finances, um, there wasn't loads and loads in there, but I think there was enough. There was some decent stuff. So, Tom, why don't you kick off with the pension stuff? Because I feel like that was one of the biggest announcements. Yeah, so we had been um, expecting something on the tapered annual allowance. So quick recap, one of the more 
complicated and unpleasant parts of the pension system. So for higher earners, um, the annual allowance can be lower than the usual £40,000 annual allowance that you have to save in a pension each year. And whether or not your annual, annual allowance is lowered depends on two different income measures. So one is threshold income. So that's your taxable earnings broadly, your taxable earnings minus your personal pension contributions, and then adjusted income, which is broadly your taxable earnings plus your employer contributions. So if threshold income is over £110,000 and adjusted income is over £150,000, then your annual allowance will be reduced by £1 for every £2 of adjusted income over £150,000. Still with me? I think I am, yeah. Okay, good. And this had caused problems in the NHS. So this, had, this has caused really significant problems, actually, in the NHS, which is, this is a kind of political stuff that's surrounding it. The NHS already under a lot of pressure from an ageing population, under more pressure, potentially, as a result of the coronavirus. And what you had were lots of senior doctors who were affected by this taper, who have quite valuable defined benefit pension benefits who were effectively turning down extra shifts because they were worried they were going to push up their earnings, end up being hit with a massive pensions tax bill as a result of it. Now, that's reached a point where clearly the government couldn't allow that to continue, particularly with coronavirus putting potentially more pressure on the NHS. So what they've decided to do, we'd hoped that they would just remove the taper altogether because it is really complicated and it's very difficult for people to plan around. They haven't done that. Instead, they've decided to tinker with it, but in a way that I think probably makes the system at least a bit better for people. So they've increased the two thresholds by £90,000. So the threshold income threshold up from £110,000 to £200,000, adjusted income up from £150,000 to £240,000. So it then tapers in the same way. So your annual allowance can reduce from £40,000 from that adjusted income figure of £240,000 all the way down to uh, to ten thousand pounds if you're if, if you have adjusted income of three hundred thousand pounds, but then it can go a bit further as well. So to mitigate some of the costs of it, they've they've now increased the po- the point at which the taper the lowest point of the taper to four thousand pounds. So if you if you're uh, if you've got adjusted income of three hundred twelve thousand pounds or more, then you'll have an annual allowance of four thousand pounds, whereas before it would have been. £10,000. So a bit complicated and a bit fiddly, but essentially this only affects high earners. So if you're earning less than... very high earners Very high earners, yep. So if you're earning uh, less than £110,000, then this isn't going to affect you. But if you are among those high earners, for most people, it'll be a positive. If you're a very high earner earning roughly over over £250,000, £300,000, it might mean that you can put a bit less into your pension each year. So... That was the key measure that they brought forward. I think most people think it's probably an improvement on where we are. It should mean that doctors aren't having to turn down shifts, which seems an utterly ridiculous set of circumstances you, so, to have. I can say, do you think it was the um, the doctor NHS issue which yes. totally changed this? Because there was a lot of publicity, wasn't there? About there was a, there was a lot of publicity, but I think the, the, with with all this stuff, the the rubber hits the road when real people's lives are potentially impacted. I think the, for you have, you, have, you have people in the pensions industry and people like me criticising something because it's complicated and it's very difficult for people to plan around. But ultimately, for a government, the the optics of it look like you're reducing, you're, you're potentially increasing tax breaks for what would be seen as wealthy people by you know the rest of the yeah. electorate. So it, I don't think it would have been a priority unless the NHS issue had come to the fore and it had. And then with coronavirus adding potentially to that, it was... 
it, it, it was just untenable for, the, for them to continue having a tax, pension tax system in place, which was potentially increasing the capacity pressures on the health service. So they had to do something. They have done something. I think it generally is quite good. Personally, I find it quite slightly frustrating that they don't just get rid of this because how much tax does it now generate? It can't well, so be generating that it much wasn't, So it was generating around a billion pounds a year with this change, which comes into effect from April, by the way, so from from the 2020-21 tax year, um, it's going to cost them somewhere between 400 and 500 million pounds. So net, it means they'll now be raising somewhere in the region of half a billion pounds a year from the measure, which in government spending terms isn't that much um, and it's always been our preference that we need to move to a much simpler pension system and having this annual this tapered annual allowance in place along with the standard annual allowance and also the money purchase annual allowance for people who flexibly access their pension is far far too complicated so we'd like to see more simplification but I think I guess there's some sympathy with a government that's got a lot of stuff on its plate at the moment and perhaps doesn't want to undertake kind of fundamental structural reforms to the system or big do big things it needed to take emergency measures to make sure the NHS was was okay and I think that's what they've done here so a positive mood I was move I would say broadly for savers and what there. about there's other stuff with pensions as well on the budget wasn't there this is a lifetime allowance a couple change. of tweaks yeah so yeah. The, the, the lifetime allowance is one that we were expecting so the uh, the lifetime allowance for the current tax year is 1.055 million pounds a nice handy easy to remember figure it's going to get even easier to remember so the, the, so the lifetime allowance increases in line with uh, consumer prices index inflation and um, nowadays has been cut repeatedly over the years but was pegged to CPI back in 2016 so they've confirmed that from uh, from April so for the 2020-21 tax year lifetime allowance will go up to 1.073100 million pounds how do you say that <laughs> 1 1 1 million and 73100 pounds it's not it's just a million and a bit isn't it's it? a million and it's up a bit it's up in line with that inflation that 100 pounds is going to be crucial though when yeah. we all come to retire we'll be thankful for that I think it's, it's <laughs> frustratingly awkward figure much easier to think about as an extra £18,100 of uh, a pension that Why you save up over your lifetime I, I don't know I, I genuinely, they, they've, they've actually rounded to different decimal points each <laughs> each year. So, so there's, next year there isn't even pence. consistency in the rounding that they use for the lifetime allowance. So I, I, I don't, I'm not sure why they choose the numbers that they do. It's certainly not to make it easier for people like me to to explain. Um, but yeah, an extra eighteen thousand one hundred pounds you'll be able to save from next year in a pension over your lifetime. That equates to just over four thousand five hundred pounds of extra tax-free cash that you can build up. So handy, but what we were expecting um the only other thing or ma- major thing we saw on pensions was um an, an a vague announcement of a call for evidence on pension tax administration um so i think this is broadly those are three really boring words you've got to make this exciting <laughs> okay pension tax, pension tax administ- administration um so it could be it could be big who knows um so the main issue that the looking to deal with here is people who are in what's called net pay pension schemes um, who earn less than the personal allowance. So they they should, so in, if you're in a net pay pension scheme, you should get the tax relief that you're due on your pension added automatically because it's taken straight out of your pay before you've been taxed. So you get the income tax relief automatically. Of course, if you're not paying any tax, then you don't get any tax relief at all. So there's lots of these schemes have been set up for automatic enrolment. Over a million people who are earning below the personal allowance 
who are paying into these kind of schemes who aren't getting the tax relief they need. So the government said in its manifesto, the Conservative Party, should I say, said in its manifesto they were going to do something to deal with this problem. They obviously haven't actually come up with a solution yet. So <laughs> there's, there's something is a call for evidence to work oh, out the how, classic review it and how push to it deal the with the problem. It's one of those where um, it's quite interesting, I suppose, because they could have just talked talk specifically about this net pay problem. And the fact, while it sounds quite boring, I absolutely agree, the fact that they've talked more broadly about pension tax administration potentially leaves the door open to, for them to look at other parts of the pension tax system as well. But no details on that, so we'll have to have to see what comes out of it. What about our good old friend, the ISA? Mm. Oh, it yeah. wasn't in the Chancellor's speech, but if um, us sad individuals, as soon as the budget's <laughs> finished, you download the document and you do Control-F type in ISA. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, I read the entire thing, yeah. <laughs> all 600 pages I, I just, of it. Yeah, I just it go straight to the ISA bit thinking, okay, you know, we've, we've talked on previous podcasts about uh, it would be great if they um, increased the allowance from 20 grand, but of course that didn't happen. But Laura, something did happen, didn't it? It was a junior ISIS. and surprise move with junior mm, ISIS. Yeah. Um, so they more than doubled the allowance that you can put into a junior ISIS each year. So now you can put £9,000 per child into a junior ISIS each year, which felt like a very strange move mm. because they didn't change any other ISIS allowance. They didn't change the main ISIS allowance or the lifetime ISIS allowance. Um, and... Let's be honest, this is a move for very wealthy families. Because if you think think of a typical, the average family of, we say, two adults and two children, if you take the adult ISA allowance and the two children's ISA allowance now, that's £58,000 that you've got to have spare each year just <laughs> lying around that you yeah. can put in um, an ISA. It's madness. You know, I, when I had my kids were very young, mm. the idea of even finding £9 to put into <laughs> an ISA, let alone 90 grand, whatever, you know, what, it, it's just... It is madness. I mean, I think that I think I personally think that perhaps that they should have looked at um, doing the adult ISA, changing mm. it a little bit more. It's it's people's one of someone's life's goals is if they think they're going to have kids, they'll potentially start saving for university fees and stuff like that. In the same way that they might think about saving for a house and other other life goals. So, um, a big criticism of junior ISAs is that when the when the you, you put money into it but when the, the child turns 18 it's theirs and they, yeah. they can do what they want mm. so you have no say so you, you've saved up very hard or your grandparents your family and friends and and, and they don't know what to do so uh, it's if Lo they and lots of people so that's the reason that lots of parents because the the adult ISA allowance is so high at £20,000 which is more if you think of that £40,000 per couple that's more than most people would have spare to put in so quite a lot of parents put money for their kids aside but in their own ISA so that way they can control it the tricky thing there is if you want grandparents to contribute they might be more likely to contribute to an ISA that's under the child's name rather than effectively just putting money in your ISA because they might be worried that you might hit hard times and decide to spend it on paying the mortgage or you might splurge it on holiday or whatever yeah I guess yeah um but I think you put this into perspective, the average ISA subscription last, junior ISA subscription last year, so the average amount put into a junior ISA was £994. Was it? So it's not even anywhere mm, close. Yeah. The previous allowance was a very weird number, but basically just over four grand. So it's not even like the government saw, oh, people are really maximising this ISA allowance already, we should increase it. But it's a move that benefits the wealthy that's quite a good headline thing for kind of Tory stronghold wealthy families and it's not going to cost the government anything basically because so few people are going to put that maximum £9,000 limit in. Yeah, so if you put, I saw some numbers, if you put uh, the full amount each 
each um, each year into it. And uh, post charge four percent growth, it's it's two hundred forty thousand pounds by. The I time. like that you say you saw figures. Those are figures I put out. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, <laughs> those are sums should, I did. Should have claimed you produced them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. just done some sums on the back of a fag packet here. Yeah, <laughs> it was one of. Um, Probably 1,770 emails I received yesterday. Ah, but it's the comments, one you remember. Comments for, um, uh, hello, Janice, would you uh, like a comment on the budget? So, oh, thank you. That's very kind you of you. Don't degrade our work, yeah. Dan. <laughs> but no, it, I mean... But yeah, you can build up a quarter of a million um, pot yeah. by the time the child turns 18, which is great. I mean, who wouldn't want that start in life at the age of 18? But also, what family has nine grand yeah. per child as well? Yeah. Well, I, well I, I, yeah, I, I joked to you yesterday, didn't I? They must be a coincidence that Boris Johnson's lovely fiance is just about to give birth and he's doubled the junior ISA allowance exactly. to £9,000. Yeah. And Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, has two children and is known to be a very wealthy person. There so maybe go. it's just a little handout to him yeah. and his mates. Well, it's the Donald Trump um, ban on travelling between the US and most of Europe. It, it, so it excludes UK and Ireland. And someone pointed out, well, that's where he's got two golf courses or something. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not sort of, so, you know, it's just a coincidence. I think, yeah. It's a nice so. conspiracy theory yeah. to have, isn't it? But it's, it's a strange one, but we shouldn't complain, I suppose, should we? It's a positive change for some people for it would be helpful savers. and it's not detrimental yeah. to anyone else. It's not like they've done that at the yeah. expense of taking I think away I've, I think I've been scarred by so many years of pensions allowances, allowances being cut back again and again to see something being increased is... I should be grateful, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so other changes, shall I whip through a couple of others? Yeah. Um, so the capital gains tax allowance increased. So this increases every year. So it's the amount of capital gains that you can make on your investments um, or property before you have to pay tax. So it increased from £12,000 to £12,300. So it's kind of moved up in line with inflation every year. Um it's not a massive money saver. So for higher and additional rate taxpayers with kind of non-property assets that are above the limit, it's going to save them £60 a year. But still, mm. £60 a year, better than nothing. The fuel duty remained frozen. There were rumours that the the freeze on fuel duty was going to be um, scrapped and that they were going to raise, raise duty on, on fuel, but they decided not to do that. I guess they thought that coronavirus and potential economic slowdown wasn't the time to announce a measure like that, which, which has quite a broad impact across the population because it affects a lot of people. Um, what other things did we spot? What about national insurance? There's some changes there, wasn't there? Yeah, so there were big changes. So this was in the Conservative manifesto already. So we kind of knew it was going to happen, but it was confirmed. And so the amount, um, the threshold at which you start paying national insurance will increase. And that actually increases from April, so from next month. So it means that you don't start paying national insurance until um, your earnings hit £9,500. So there's a lot of dispute around how much this will actually save. So the government says it will save you the average person £104 a year. The Institute for Fiscal Studies says it's on average £85 a year. So we'll say about £100 a year. Yeah. Let's fudge <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> and what about, is there anything on housing at all or, or sort of linked to the property market? It was a bit disappointing for housing because we thought that there might be some more measures for first-time buyers. So one thing that was announced in the manifesto that did happen is an extra stamp duty surcharge for overseas buyers. Um, so previously they talked about having an extra three percentage point on stamp duty that's now going to be two percentage points um, rather than being introduced this year it's only introduced from 2021 um, which means that you've got a year for overseas buyers to um, buy property here without having to hit that surcharge so there's come some speculation that there might be a bit of a flurry of buying of yeah. people that wanted to um, 
And then there's some additional funding for affordable homes, which were kind of confirmed something that we knew in the manifesto. The weird thing that was missing was the um, Conservatives in their manifesto talked about this new plan to help first-time buyers by launching super long-term mortgages that would cut the amount of deposit you would need. And at the time, the manifesto details were very vague and woolly about how this would actually work and how the government would work with the mortgage industry on it. And there was absolutely no mention of it. Okay, that might explain then why shares in some of the house builders fell. Mm. Uh, I think maybe they, they got they've been so used to positive things to try and drive the property market every budget there seems to be something isn't there but so maybe it was felt that there was that they didn't get their uh their goodies that they're normally expected so and it might be that this was something that kind of got scrapped as a result of changes to the budget because of coronavirus measures and and things like that so it might be that we have a, a kind of version of the budget later in the year called the autumn statement. Um, so it might be that that's something that kind of resurfaces then, or it might be something that's been shelved altogether. Yeah. So was was there anything in the budget, apart from junior ISIS, which we pointed out wasn't mentioned in the Chancellor's statement, was there anything else that's sort of hidden away or have we been sort of spared any sort of minute detail that... This yeah. is my favourite thing of like rummaging through and trying to find the hidden things yeah. that the government don't want you to know about. One thing that I spotted was... Um, NSN changes to NSNI, so National Savings and Investments. Um, so the government sets a, because it's government backed, the government sets a target each year for how much money it wants NSNI to take in in customer deposits. Um, and it's slashed that for next year. So it's 10 billion at the moment, just over 10 billion. Um, and they've cut it down to 6 billion. So what this means is NSNI doesn't have to offer such good interest rates because it doesn't need to attract as many customer deposits. Um, and anyone that's got their money with them at the moment will know that they've been cutting rates recently um, and in fact I think the latest cut was only a few weeks ago so that's something that we could see more of because if they need to attract less money then they don't need to offer such good rates to, to draw people in so that was an interesting one and it actually falls again in the following year down to about four billion I think. Mm. And what about um, anything that was what people were expecting that just didn't happen and anything else that we haven't talked about already. inheritance tax yes yeah, that was I meant think. to be the big one and and we i feel like we've had eternal review after review into how to simplify inheritance tax how to make the system easier for people to understand um there's been lots of quite radical suggestions of getting rid of all of the allowances each year on gifting cutting the rate from 40 percent down to 10 percent um and another one of them was to get rid of this thing called um is business it, property is it relief. Business property relief. Yes, yes. I, I, I knew yeah. you'd know. Um, and so, and that actually has a knock-on benefit for investors, which is all a bit complicated. and Won't go into it. But basically, there was just no mention of inheritance tax. Um, so, you know, well, that's actually it, it is. It, it, it probably is worth touching on it. It is really important to um, anyone who owns shares in um, stocks that trade on the AIM market. So with with the aim, if you hold it in the aim market, um, certain stocks will qualify for an inheritance tax relief. So it, it's it's a way of sort of helping um, reduce inheritance tax on your estate when you die. Now, a load of these. Um, AIM portfolios that are offered by various companies for, for IHG purposes. They all they all invest in the same stocks. And if we suddenly had this sort of perk taken away, there's a potential there could be widespread selling in a, in a concentrated part of the market, um, which could have potentially devastating effects because some of these companies are um, quite small, potentially slightly illiquid. So um, it wouldn't be very good. And it's quite interesting that 
they, there was a review last summer and this sort of implied there was something bubbling away that we could get something. So I don't think this one is, has gone away at no, all. No, I think it's been delayed um, and I think they just didn't want to announce what a lot of people thought might happen is just another review would be announced and then they might eventually come to some conclusions on how to change it and in five years time we'd see some changes but they didn't even do that but it might be again another one for the autumn statement later in the year when we don't have the kind of economic turmoil that we've got at the moment where they might focus on this so just before we finish tom anything else did you find anything that was uh, interesting well a couple, of, well, a couple to, well one to keep an eye on and one um i thought quite interesting little star in the um, office of budget responsibilities report so the one to keep an eye on um is uh, the ongoing consultation process around uh, replacing the retail prices index with the with cpi h so this is, is the, different measures of inflation. Yeah, so that's the UK Statistics Authority's preferred measure, CPIH. So the RPI has been discredited for various reasons. They think it's not a very good way of measuring the changes in prices. They think CPIH is better, but CPIH is tends to be somewhere in the region of one percentage point lower than RPI. Now, this could be quite important for lots of people because lots of things are linked to RPI at the moment. So um, index and gilt tend to be linked to um, RPI. You've also got some annuities that people will have bought previously that are linked to RPI. Um, you'll also have uh, people with defined benefit pensions where it's written into the contract that it rises in line with RPI. So if they were to replace RPI with CPIH, and RPI were to disappear altogether, and then that were to be replaced in those contracts, then people would potentially see the value of those assets and the value of the income that they re they receive going down. Now, at this stage, that we're only at the the UK Statistics Authority and the Treasury issuing a call for evidence on it. They're not talking about making any changes until 2025, and it may be that they look to. Um, uh, allow some some leeway for transition for people who've already bought products because it would seem quite unfair if you've bought something, assume it's going to go up by one inflation rate and it goes up by something much lower. I think people will be quite unhappy about that, but that's probably one to keep an eye on in the next few years because it could potentially, depending on how it pans out, have quite significant implications for, for people's, people's savings and their investments. Um, the other one was just a an interesting update on how much income tax the government has reeled in as a result of the pension freedoms reforms, so the reforms introduced in 2015, which allow people to access their pensions as and when um, as and when they, they like. So they've taken in um, £2 billion more in income tax than right. they thought they were going to Crikey. get. So a well over 50% more income tax than they thought they were going to get. And as a result, they've increased their projection. So the, this, the Office for Budget Responsibility, the Independent Office for Budget Responsibility, um, has increased the amount they think they're going to get on an ongoing basis by another £400 million a year, and I thought that was quite quite interesting. A because there were various reasons the government introduced the pension freedoms, um, in particular some failings in the annuity market. But one of those reasons was undoubtedly that they thought they would be able to sneakily get a little bit more tax off people. And I think it's just another reminder to people who are accessing their pensions just to think about the way that they're withdrawing their money and to make sure that you're not going into a tax bracket accidentally because if you take big withdrawals if you take your entire pot then you might end up paying higher or additional rate tax whereas you could minimize that tax bill if you take it in smaller chunks and if you take it all and take and uh, hit with a big tax bill then the the only person who's going to benefit from it is is the chancellor 
<laughs> or on that note thank you ever so much for listening to our budget special um, so if you've got any ideas or suggestions stuff that you'd like us to talk about in future podcasts please email us at podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we'll catch you next time thanks very much thanks a lot cheers before you go please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.